The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cabo meal valid when product served. And welcome to episode number 41 of the LSR Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all of the gaming industry. This week, I will be learning from one Adam Candy, and that is it. We have a sole bright mind on the podcast this week, but that's okay. Adam is going to be able to run down all of the happenings across some states, some interesting stuff coming out with Sport Radar and the NCAA. We got some FanDuel news as well, so... Lots of stuff for us to talk about. As always, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. We really do appreciate all of those five-star reviews. But Adam, we are going to tackle this. We will be the dynamic duo, but really, it is more like 1.75 you and 0.25 me. Oh, I think you may have your percentages just a little bit off there. You are a minimum of 0.3. Well, I appreciate that. I'll take the I'll take the 1.7 to 0.3 of this podcast and we will move on and let our listeners know just exactly what is going on in this crazy little world of gambling that we have going on. Let's starting, you know, let's start out here with this whole story with Sports Radar, Sport Radar and the NCAA. If you guys did not hear about this one, this is fairly interesting because this is something Adam, that when it actually when the story broke, I looked at it and I was like, huh, you know, now that I read this, I wonder why we haven't heard about something like this before. It is something that you could imagine having happened in the past, just if you were to think about how these things work. But Sport Radar, apparently, according to some information obtained by Brad Allen of Legal Sports Report, Uh, someone who was there ostensibly under the integrity monitoring deal that the NCAA has with Sport Radar. One of those scouts apparently relayed information that could be used for betting purposes back to Sport Radar from inside the arena. Uh, There's also an instance that Brad Allen has information about of being scouted off TV in a similar deal. So the situation is that that's obviously not Sport Radar's to, uh, to do and the deal that uh, that Brad Allen was able to find is that this was happening outside of any sort of NCAA purview. That's what they said. The NCAA said that, uh, you know, that they have their ways of doing this, that that is not part of it. Uh, Sport Radar, for its part, categorically denies any allegation of wrongdoing. Uh, they have essentially accused their competitors of planting the story And uh, beyond that, they didn't really have a lot of comment. It wasn't a full on denial uh, if you read in between the lines. But at the same time, they were saying that they didn't do anything wrong. 
And one of the reasons that this is a big deal is because the NCAA actually went ahead and they already had signed a deal to have a data partner. It is, and and it's interesting because it's a data partner, but not necessarily an official data deal. Uh, The NCAA has a 10-year exclusive deal with Genius Sports, the primary rival of Sport Radar, but it doesn't really have any sort of relationship in relation to betting data. Uh, And the statement that the NCAA provided said that they do not have a contractual relationship with any entity to provide official NCAA sports wagering data. And so I can confirm that because I actually was contacted by the NCAA a couple of months back and they said that there was some information that they thought was uh, was inaccurate on legal sports report about official data. So they're obviously watching it and they're sensitive to it. Uh, so this should be interesting. And as far as I see that John Holden, who does some great work for us, um, you guys contacted him just to see if, OK, could there be any sort of something done from a legal aspect when it comes to all this. And he basically said, uh, I mean, maybe, but it's going to be really tough. Essentially. Yeah. Uh, and John Holden, our legal expert has covered this extensively, essentially that there are no property rights to data. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a certain first amendment coverage in there, um, that I would let John explain long before I tried to explain it. But, uh, you know, in terms of, intellectual property rights, uh, he's talked about the fact that, you know, in relation to these official data feeds that essentially that there is no one who owns the information. Heading over to Florida, and this is one of those big states that's lingering out there. You and I also always talk about the the big ones that are lingering, Texas, California, Florida, and, you know, New York from a mobile aspect. And uh, Florida is one that there were uh, there was a time, I think, when we first started this podcast where we were saying, yeah, the chances in Florida are basically slim to none with the way that the game, the gaming is situated over there and how much would have to be done for there actually to get a deal in place. But there were rumors and there's been pe- lots of things talked about because, hey, look, they're not they're not stupid. They're just like all these other states. They're seeing all this revenue that these other people are generating. And so we started to get a little bit of Florida news and uh, maybe that news was a bit premature. It's one report that came out in Politico about there being the potential of a deal between the legislature and tribal interests that uh, pretty much everyone has refuted since it came out. Notably the chair of the Senate gaming committee uh, who's uh, in charge of this, actually I should say the Senate president uh, down in Florida uh, who's in charge of this has denied that there were any discussions with the tribe. And Mac Riddell got an interview this week with Mark Dunbar, an attorney who represents the Seminole tribe who uh, own and operate the Hard Rock down in Florida and have a controlling interest of most of gaming in the Sunshine State. And he, while not speaking directly for the tribe, was pretty strong about saying that if you don't have a deal with the tribe, you don't have a deal at all. Um, And I'll, I'll read a couple of quotes directly here in which he says, while these legislators might have good intentions until the governor weighs in in earnest, none of this is real. It's all misinformation by lobbyists trying to justify their fees. Oh, we're really working hard. They're working on nothing. Well, (laughs) that's about as uh, categorically as this could be denied by someone who would know. Um, And it's important to note that there has previously been a deal negotiated that was going to 
get the Seminole to restore the payments that they were making to the state as some ongoing disputes had led them to stop that. Uh, That was worked out under previous Governor Rick Scott, now under Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, That deal never went forward. It also is notable that you know, in 2018, there was a ballot measure that passed in Florida that was supported by the Seminole tribe that said any gambling expansion in Florida that was not limited just to tribal casinos or the lottery has to be initiated by voters. And so there's a narrow path to how any sort of sports betting deal in Florida can get done. And when we kind of look at what Florida would bring to the table as well, I mean, I don't think we need to tell people one of the most popular states out there three huge college programs in Miami, Florida and Florida state. You have several pro teams in all of the various big four sports as well. And so as excited we were, as we were about Illinois coming into the fold with, you know, what they bring to the table from a sports, you know, landscape and everything, you know, Florida would just be just a massive ma- I mean, outside of, I guess when we really look at it outside of mobile in New York and outside of, Anything getting done in Texas or California, Florida would just be right there with them kind of sitting in that third spot. There are probably five holy grails out there when it comes to the U.S. sports betting market, Uh, California, New York, Florida, Texas, and of course, Illinois, which we're about to get. Um, And if you look at all of those states is exceedingly complicated, either by political will or by uh, political thickets in all of these states. You know, in Florida in particular, you know, the Orlando Sentinel reported that the negotiations that were going on with the Seminole would set up exclusivity for them in sports betting in return for giving up the uh, dispute that they have. And it's a dispute that's going on in a number of states over banked card games. And uh, Mark Dunbar basically said, you can't create a market big enough in Florida for that to make economic sense for the tribe to do so. Despite the size of the market and the potential opportunity that there is in Florida, it's not even a big enough opportunity when you look at the scale of gaming overall in Florida for it to make sense for the Seminole tribe. One of the states that is actually going right now is Indiana. We talked about how they do have mobile in place. We were seeing several different sports books get going over there, and we know that the the couple of big guys are already in Indiana. However, we do have a couple more joining the fold here. We are up to five mobile sports books in Indiana, and we're probably going to have six before very long. BetMGM, as it continues its revamp and uh, redistribution across the country, et cetera, gets into a new state in Indiana via Belterra Casino. It's actually a Boyd property, but if you think back in your deep, deep ancient history, less than two years ago in the U.S., sports betting market. Uh, MGM and Boyd have a market access agreement that gives both access to about 15 states. And so that allowed BetMGM to launch in Indiana. Uh, And not a moment too soon, really, when you look at the race for mobile share in Indiana. We're looking at a state that has gotten up to nearly 80 percent mobile in less than a year of having operations. And it was only late last summer, right before football season, that Indiana launched its sports betting. And so you have the Big boys in this state, uh, DraftKings and FanDuel are there. Uh, Bet Rivers is in the state as well. Bet America just got going, and they don't really have much of a presence yet. But Bet MGM is kind of slowly but steadily 
making its way across the country, uh, Nevada and New Jersey, of course, its original two. They launched recently in West Virginia, and now they'll have Indiana as well. Uh, that sixth one that we mentioned will be PointsBet. Uh, PointsBet said in its first quarter earnings call that it plans to be up and running in Indiana before March Madness. And we know um, that FanDuel has basically, wherever they have launched, has instantly shot up to being the market leader just of note over in Indiana where there is DraftKings and FanDuel. Uh, even if so, only so slightly, DraftKings is actually uh, winning right there in Indiana as we sit right now. That is true and uh, reminiscent in some ways of what we saw in New Jersey where DraftKings got in first and then was able to uh, move that lead out for most of the first year. Of course, the timing wasn't quite the same in Indiana as it was in New Jersey for DraftKings and FanDuel. But you know, I'll tell you what, Matt, I had uh, an interesting experience uh, doing a radio hit with a guy I know in Chicago just this past week, and we were discussing the launch of Illinois sports betting. And what I found very interesting was he had one of his producers come on, and his producer is someone who talked about the fact that he is someone who has been traveling from Chicago over the border into Indiana to place bets. Uh, he said he's looking forward to points bet coming into the market. And he said even when it launches in Illinois with the three retail sports books that are coming here in the near future, he thinks he's still going to be going to Indiana. Um, and, you know, he, and the host that I was speaking with also brought up the point that, you know, you're tr also trying to migrate the offshore market as well. And so. Interesting times for uh, for Indiana, both in terms of its uh, in terms of its mobile options and in terms of that Chicago market that it continues to draw from. You guys do a ton of news over at LSRLegalSportsReport.com, but you guys went ahead and have a little had a, had a guest column posted on the site this week that takes an interesting look at what's going on with trying to get going with a sports betting business in 2020. I would highly, highly recommend this article to anyone who is fairly new, not only to the podcast, but to the U.S. sports betting market overall. Uh, Lloyd Danzig authored this guest column for us. He is the founder and CEO of Sharp Alpha Advisories, uh, Advisors, a sports gaming advisory firm focusing on companies deploying cutting edge tech as they list it. Uh, but he did a very good job, I think, in this column of breaking down how this is not the traditional market in terms of trying to get investment capital and trying to get venture capital to buy in because for a number of reasons, because there's nothing really to base it on in terms of previous expectations, because there are fears of being the first ones into the market, because there's some concern about whether or not there's a novelty effect that's going to wear off here over time. I won't try to tell it all in the way that uh, that Lloyd did, but I would highly recommend this article uh, on the Legal Sports Report site right now entitled Why It's So Hard to Be a U.S. Sports Betting Startup in 2020. You know, and Matt, I would also put out a call out there if you are an LSR podcast listener who has an opinion uh, in this space, if you're someone who is a tastemaker and wants to weigh in, we welcome submissions from all across the industry and you know you can send those right on to us you can send them to me at adam at legal sports report.com or uh, go through our website to do that as well it's very interesting that take and i've always wondered if sports betting was a different animal than all the other gambling ventures that i have worked in because 
you know, pioneers pioneer and then settlers come in and settle right Adam. And like that's, and we've seen that a lot of times when I was in the poker industry, the most popular poker sites, when I first got going in the poker industry were eventually either folded or bought up or whatever it might've been because, you know, full tilt and poker stars came in and, uh, and basically crushed everyone push, push party poker way, way down the list. As far as popularity, you look at DFS, there were companies that preceded. I know a lot of people don't know this and and realize this because the meteoric rise of DraftKings and FanDuel happened so quickly, but there were DFS sites that preceded DraftKings and FanDuel by, uh, you know, by a couple of years even. And those guys, of course, as as I'm talking about with the poker industry, kind of came in and they pioneered the space and then they got eaten up and taken down by these other guys that came in. And so you, I, I have wondered if there will be a lot of that in sports betting as well, because in the two other phases of gambling that I've worked in, I've seen a lot of that. And so I wonder if there's people coming in and doing a bunch of trailblazing here and really they're just making a lot of making it a lot easier for someone to come in behind them and, and uh, see what they were doing right and figure out uh, what they were doing wrong and basically uh, crush them. In short terms, yes. And yeah. I would say that uh, to, to further that point, I have a friend who uh, who works in the middle of the tech venture capital market right up in San Francisco. And I talked to him probably about a year ago about this space. And he was firm on the idea of, oh, no, we want nothing to do with the gold rush. You know, we'll see how things play out over the next couple of years. And then we'll take a look at what opportunities might or might not be there. After that, and uh, you know, beyond that uncertainty, the other thing that Lloyd mentioned in his article is the fact that regulation across the country is uneven, right? About and you know, we don't know at what rate states will roll out. Uh, we don't know who will choose to go with mobile and who will only have land-based license costs. For instance, ten million dollars in Pennsylvania versus forty-five thousand dollars in Iowa. What tax rates are going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Now, all of that said. His takeaway at the end of this was, look, if you're someone who has the wherewithal to ride out these things, he thinks valuations for uh, for companies in this space are extremely low at the moment for what they ultimately could be if everything works out. So, you know, uh, not that it's that different than any other market where you say if you're willing to take on a little bit more uncertainty, the potential payoff is a little bigger. And as we do each and every week, we'll do the quick hitters here on just the little bit of news that is coming out of the few states here, Connecticut, Kansas, Washington, and Montana. We cover each and every legislature in the country fairly extensively in terms of following the multiple sports betting bills that are working their way through various legislatures. 21 states right now, Matt, have some form of legal sports betting bill on the books. Let's go to Connecticut that you mentioned um, Boy, Connecticut is just a thicket when it comes to tribal situation, when it comes to uh, law that's already on the books versus law that they're trying to work out. Um, Joe Varangia, who's been at the forefront of this in Connecticut in the legislature, proposed a new bill that he is pitching as a more comprehensive effort. But keep in mind that it's only a week or so ago that we were talking on this podcast about the fact that uh, Rodney Butler the chairman of the Mashantucket Pequot uh, got up there and said, you know, um, you're going to get sued. Like, no matter what, this is going to end up in a lawsuit one way or the other. So the new bill was introduced uh, this week. Whether it's going to make anybody or uh, any anyone in particular happy 
it's really hard to say. Um, but you know, it, it's attempting to authorize retail and online to be conducted by Mohegan Sun, Foxwoods, a proposed tribal casino in East Windsor, OTBs, and the lottery as well. So it kind of would give everyone uh, a piece of the pie. Tax rate of 10% for in-person, uh, 14 and three quarters for online, uh, fairly steep license fee at 750000 so on, so on. So, you know, does it have a chance? Yeah, it has a chance, um, but I, I wouldn't hold my breath for anything happening in Connecticut anytime soon. Going beyond that, Matt, uh, we looked down the line to Kansas. Uh, Kansas sports betting did pass through the Senate, and it's on its way to the House. Uh, this was a state that had some interest in getting legal sports betting going last year. Uh, this bill seems to be one that at least has some momentum behind it. So Kansas could be uh, the first in the Great Plains states to get things going, although uh, there is something brewing in South Dakota as well in terms of an initiative that might go to the voters that would be very limited uh, to Deadwood in South Dakota. Up in Washington state, uh, we continue to see movement on the tribal only bill that has made uh, its way past one chamber and into committee on the other side. That bill is one that, again, has had a lawsuit threatened by the card rooms uh, because it limits Washington sports betting to just tribes. And it does that in part because that would avoid uh, because of an emergency provision that was put into the bill having to go to the ballot. Um, they they have done some market research up in Washington that suggests that if it went to the ballot, they might not be able to get approval from voters in Montana. We don't have to talk about legislation. We can talk about a state that already passed it. Uh, Montana via its lottery will be getting sports betting going. They're saying by March Madness, uh, you know, there are always these certain milestones for certain states to get things going. NFL season is always number one Super Bowl up there as well. And March Madness, the three major uh, betting season slash events for the entire year. So Montana might not be that far off either. And if you're looking for more coverage of what we are following at Legal Sports Report, obviously at LegalSportsReport.com, go right to that link that says uh, Sports Betting Bill Tracker, and you'll be able to follow every piece of legislation that we're following across the country. A couple of other stories we won't hit on. I'll just send people to the site if they want to check it out. There is a, si a story up on the site talking about how Hard Rock's platform providers looking for a partner in U.S. sports betting. So they are trying to get in on everything over here. There's also a story about Penn National and an interesting and an interesting uh, idea that maybe they had after buying the Barstool Sportsbook. So you'll want to check that out as well. Uh, how big of William Hill's uh pie piece of the pie is us the us market so you can take a look at that article as well and of course circus sports you've heard us talk about it on uh, not only this podcast but our our sister podcast for the lines as well is uh they're trying to expand and they are trying to head to any market it says that allows for remote registration so all of those stories up on legalsportsreport.com right now so be sure and head over there and uh, get filled in on all those. But before we get out of here, Adam, I do want you to run down a pretty interesting story that came came through. I guess this was two days ago about FanDuel. And we know that there was a lawsuit that was filed a while ago, and that lawsuit has now made its way to the United States. So in short, you're looking at the founders of FanDuel and some former employees suing in New York uh, after getting no money in the sale of the company to 
Patty Power Betfair. Now, this is not a new lawsuit per se. It was a suit that was filed in Scotland previously. Uh, we understand that that suit was not successful, but it is different plaintiffs this time. So uh, the FanDuel employees are claiming that uh, preferential shareholders were entitled to the first $559 million in proceeds from the sale. Uh, they obviously did not get anything. Nigel Eccles, a founder and former CEO who we've had on this podcast before, said, put simply, these investors in the board cheated FanDuel employees to give themselves a massive payday. They failed to ask for an independent valuation, failed to hold a shareholder vote, and then hid documents from employees and other investors to cover up their misdeeds. Uh, he says their self-dealing fails any basic fiduciary or moral standard. Now, there's some question as to how much FanDuel ultimately was worth when they were looking at merging with DraftKings. Uh, there were some valuations of about $1.2 billion. Uh, the sale to Patty Power Betfair valued uh, them at less than half of that. So uh, there is a lot of detail in Brad Allen's article at LSR about this. Uh, if you're someone who is interested in hearkening back to the DFS days and the origins of FanDuel, you'll get a little hit of that here as well. I would uh, encourage reading not only the story that we have, but the entire filing is uh, up on our site as well. Yeah, very, very interesting, very fascinating story, one that we will monitor and keep you guys updated as to how that all plays out. But this was something that was, you know, pretty much, Adam, pretty much as soon as we saw FanDuel start to have some success here in the States from a sports betting perspective. We saw some of those original founders really start to speak out almost, almost instantly as soon as FanDuel really started to rise over there in New Jersey. Yeah. And fairly uh, predictable uh, in terms of that. So to give you just a little bit more detail, you know, the previous lawsuit claimed that private equity firms and early FanDuel investors artificially lowered the price of FanDuel in the Patty Power sale to benefit themselves. So that you know, is kind of the heart of the different valuations that we're talking about. I won't get more into the details here uh, at this point. But yeah, um, fairly predictable uh, in terms of a large sale like this. And uh, you know, for, for FanDuel, this seems to be something that uh, is not going to go away entirely too quickly in the States. Hope we got you guys a nice little rundown of the news. Very, very busy week, as you can tell. Lots of stories to talk about. Lots of things we were trying to hit on. And again, we weren't even able to get to everything here. So be sure and head over and just hop on that homepage there at LegalSportsReport.com and you'll be able to click on those articles that we were unable to touch on here and, and get the full breakdown of all that. Because there's, I mean, just uh, Adam, you were talking to me yesterday about it just been a a massive week as far as content over there it has been uh and uh, you know kudos to the great expanded legal sports report staff uh brad allen and matthew waters and matt Cradell, uh as always dustin gauker uh, doing a fantastic job of keeping everyone up to date not only with what's going on in legislatures but in terms of mergers and acquisitions and you know what's going on with earnings calls and so on we have the industry covered from soup to nuts Guys, uh, as always, please go in, give us a subscription, uh, go ahead and rate this thing and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you listen to this. Any of those good reviews helps us climb the charts and more people to find this podcast. So we really do appreciate all of those. I mean, each and every one of you guys, we really do uh, appreciate the listens. For Adam, I am Matt. Talk to you guys next week.
the go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Camel meal, valid when product served. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.